Well, hello, everybody, and thank you uh, for joining us for another installment of Ardent Roundtable. I hope that everybody's doing well and in good spirits as our, our country is starting to open up and get vaccinated. And in some places, the, the weather is finally getting a lot warmer. I know it's the case here in Lexington, Kentucky. So for those of you that are joining us for the first time this evening, welcome. And I encourage you to type in your questions into the chat. There's no such thing as a bad question here. We want to answer uh, anything that you guys have for us. <clears throat> to those of you listening to this recording on the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. I'm actually going to give you uh, future podcast listeners five seconds to make sure you're subscribed right now. One, two, three, <laughs> four, five. So once you're subscribed to the podcast, you'll get all the notifications when we post new episodes so you won't miss anything. So make sure you're subscribed. So now without further ado, I do want to welcome our my co-host, our guest, the stem cell guru himself, Dr. Larry Snyder. How are you, sir? I'm doing very, very well. It's good to see some familiar names on the, on the uh, uh, list on the Zoom meeting. I, I really appreciate having, having uh, people on, hopefully with some questions. We'll have, we'll have fun tonight. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like you always say, Dr. Snyder, we learn something new every uh, every month when we do these things. So really, uh, really happy to be on with everybody. Uh, tonight's webinar is all about you guys. Uh, it's about our valued partners. We want to hear from you. We want to answer all your questions. Uh, Dr. Snyder and I will be going through some common applications for stem cell therapy and PRP. But don't hesitate to ask your questions as we go along. Um, so just to kick things off, uh, Dr. Snyder, uh, can you please take our audience through uh, your most common applications for stem cell therapy? What's a case that comes in uh, to your exam room and you say, okay, that's a home run case for stem cell therapy? Well, well, first right now with, uh, with everyone in our COVID, in this COVID lockdown curbside service, it's, it's really tough. And I, I appreciate, I was at, I was at working in the clinic today and it's really difficult to have those conversations with people out in the parking lot. This beautiful weather today, I didn't mind getting out and talking to people, but certainly um, uh, when the weather wasn't so good at 20 below zero, it wasn't so comfortable. But, um, you know, the main, the main ones that are, that are kind of the, the I, I hate to call them home runs, but they're really kind of cut and dried for us anymore are the, are the osteoarthritis cases. And doesn't really, you know, the, the hip dysplasia, the stifle, the stifle arthritis, the common, common old age maladies. Certainly we can help these dogs uh, and cats for that matter. I didn't realize that uh, I saw some statistics the other day that like uh, close to 80% of cats by the time they're six years old have osteoarthritis. It's just, we don't, we don't, uh, um, maybe cats don't give us a signal but that we're used to seeing for dogs, but Certainly something to keep in mind is these cats may benefit from this as well. But anyway, the, the osteoarthritis is a, is a main one. That's a, that's a real common um, indication. And when we get down to the economics of it, um, we can, I think, save people a great deal of money. Even though stem cells are not inexpensive to do, when you compare it to a lifetime of that animal of the, if they're on non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, the NSAIDs and blood work every six months. And then the, the uh, potential for ulcers, the potential for liver damage. 
can we do better using regenerative medicine? I think, I think most definitely we can. So for me, having that conversation with these owners and even though not all of the owners are going to be able to, to do stem cells, not be able to afford stem cells, maybe they don't see the benefit or I'm not doing a good enough job of explaining to them the benefits of it. But certainly at once to, I, I wanna have that as one of the things that I talk about on these osteoarthritis um, animals. Had I had one today with uh, um, a stifle injury. I think it's a partial tear of a cruciate, but um, we're going to, we had that conversation uh, the, uh, out, at the, out at the car side. I, actually, I was stalling because it was about 70 degrees here today. So I really enjoyed getting outside and I got to talk to them at, at curbside. So I enjoyed that. But certainly getting the brochures on stem cells, talking to them, um, kind of giving it, giving that as one of my options. And I, I actually tell the people that's my, that's my gold standard. That's the... Uh, that's the top of the line as far as treatment on these animals. They're not comfortable with that. We can always talk about PRP. PRP um, doesn't last as long as stem cells, but certainly it's going to give these animals some relief. It's going to last us a month. Um, about the la latest that I've heard is a month to anywhere uh, up to three or four months. But Anyway, um, that becomes an option. If they want to do just nutraceuticals, I'm fine with that. If they want to try the, the NSAIDs, I'm fine with that. But at least I've put the stem cells out there and given them, giving the owners something to look at and something to think about. And even though these owners may not do stem cells on this animal, I've still planted that seed to where they're thinking about it. They're thinking about regenerative medicine and maybe not on this dog, but on their next, next dog, and maybe not on their dog, but their friend's dog. So it's kind of one to where I'm, I'm kind of um, seeding, seeding things down for the future too. And that's kind of Dylan where, where, where I come from. I want to, I want to sure. go ahead and uh, uh, not only help the animal that I'm, that I'm examining, but I want to seed things down for the future. Of course. And kind of to walk it back just a little bit uh, to those consultations, it's a very common question that we get in the office is, well, how are we, how do we bring this up to pet owners? How are most veterinarians bringing this up in consultations? And if you could just walk back and, and talk to us a little bit more about what you cover in those consultations and how you kind of uh, push those pet owners, I don't want to say push, but, uh, but, but work to convince them that stem cell therapy is going to be the best option for their pet. Well, just like a, to me, it's a gold standard. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that first. I mean, I'm sure. I'm gonna talk talk to and kind of get a sense from the owner because some of the owners you can tell right away aren't interested. Uh, but I'm still gonna present it to them. Um, we're gonna talk about osteoarthritis to them. We're gonna talk about kind of the mechanism, what's going on here. It's a buildup of bone in the joint. Um, it's a wearing down of the cartilage, um, and, and the stem cells take the inflammation out. We've got a lot of inflammation in these joints. So we're going to take the inflammation down. We're going to change the signaling in these joints, make these uh, dogs, um, hopefully a lot more comfortable pretty rapidly. And, um, I, any more Dylan, I'm talking to about every owner about banking 
cells because now with your with your lifetime banking <clears throat> being a pretty economical a choice for people, Definitely. I'm talking to them about collecting the large kit, collecting a 40 gram kit on appropriate size dog, processing it, treating them, and then banking the other cells so we can use them at a future date. And um, that would be that would be one on on kind of an to call it an acute injury because usually osteoarthritis isn't acute it's chronic it's a chronic illness um but certainly it's it's something that i want to talk about with these uh with these owners definitely um, another question that i have here is how do you know when to use prp versus stem cell therapy and of course there's uh, sometimes the cost objection or obstacle to overcome. Um, but how do you generally distinguish between, okay, I'm going to use platelet-rich plasma in this case, or I'm going to use stem cell therapy in this case? Well, to me, stem cell therapy, any place I can use PRP, stem cell therapy is a better, to, to me anyway, is a better option, simply because of the duration of the treatment. So I can, I can go ahead and treat that animal. Um, another Another thing that enters into that is the surgical risk. If this animal's not a good surgical risk, I'm probably not going to be pushing real, real hard for stem cells simply because it, I want to make sure that this animal is, uh, is an appropriate surgical candidate. And if the animal is not an appropriate surgical candidate, um, the PRP is a, certainly a less invasive. We can start maybe helping this animal feel better with the PRP because there's like 200, it's over 200 cytokines and chemokines in PRP that are going to have some very significant um, growth factors in them. Those are going to be things that are going to support this animal, hopefully getting them to where we can get them to be a surgical candidate and at a later date than do stem cells. So essentially for me anyway, I, I've, I've laughingly called PRP kind of stem cell light. It allows me to go ahead and get some of the benefits of stem cells. I can prove to that owner that, that uh, their pet's going to respond to it. And uh, then hopefully they will see those benefits and want to go with the stem cells later on. Sure. Going back to common applications, and we covered osteoarthritis with stem cell therapy. What's the most common application for you on the platelet-rich plasma side of things? Um, once again, we'll see we'll see um, um, some of these partial partial tears, cruciates. It's an excellent excellent application um, of PRP, and that's one to where we are, we're not only doing the the cruciate that's partial, partially torn, but uh, also the other side as well. And probably on, on those rehabilitation is uh, as important or is as important as the PRP in uh, not you having taken us through that protocol. Cause I think a lot of people on the call might be interested in how, uh, how specifically we're treating those partially torn cruciates with platelet rich plasma. Well, we're taking going ahead and using the, the PRP, injecting the PRP, harvesting the blood injecting the PRP, we're freezing the aliquots that, that we're, we're not using on that day. We're going ahead and freezing them because we can freeze them and use them up to 90 days. So then at 14 days, you can do 14 to 30 days to repeat. Um, 
if we can get 30 days out of the PRP, that's great. Get them back in, re-inject, re-inject them at 30 days, trying to support, support these, uh, these animals. Um, so that we can let that cruciate heal, um, restricting their, their free exercise. I want to take and, and, uh, limit these dogs exercise. Usually, um, I'm doing no longer than a four foot lead on, on them. I'm walking them at a pace slow enough that I can load these legs. And this is flat work. So this is on, this is on level ground. And depending on the dog, depending on the, on the, uh, the level of pain in them, we'll start out at five minutes twice a day and then gradually increase as a dog can, as a dog can increase uh, the exercise, the tolerance of exercise. Is that, does that answer? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so. But uh, also maybe how you do the injections. Oh, the, the injections on the, the injections on joint injections, of course, on the stifle, stifle is, um, you know, either side of the, either side of the, patellar ligament into the joint. It's a, it's a, I, I believe any place that I can, I can palpate any place I can put my finger, I can get, I can get a, uh, get a needle into, you can do anywhere from a 22 to 25 gauge needle in these guys, inject, inject these joints. Um, it's really not difficult at all to do the, to do the joint injections on these, the big, the big key on joint injections is, is clipping, scrubbing uh, a surgical scrub on these guys. I do not want to introduce anything into these joints. So we're going to do a, we're going to do a pretty thorough, we're going to do a pretty thorough surgical scrub before we, uh, before we inject the joints, Don. Yes, certainly. Of course, <clears throat> anybody that has any questions, please go ahead and put them in the chat. We'd be happy to, uh, we'd be happy to hear from each of you. Um, Dr. Snyder, we kind of touched on the importance of, of banking stem cells and how you bring that up in every consultation uh, that you do. Can, can you go into a little bit more detail on the importance of banking stem cells and why we should realistically be banking in, in every case if we can, right? Right. Absolutely. To me, to me, it's not a, I hate to say it's not an option because it's always an option because the owner's, the owner's paying for it. But to me, it's, it's almost um, like, well, um, how about, you know, we're, we're, we're already going through the surgery. Let's go ahead and get as many doses as we can, because in the future, uh, if this animal gets injured, we'll already have it in the bank. One of the big things, um, one of the big benefits of this, of this spay-neuter program is getting these dogs um, or cats, because we could do cats with a spay-neuter as well getting these, uh, the, the cells banked and we'll have them for future use. To me, the future, the future of stem cells, I think um, the immune modulation, these, these uh, immune mediated diseases are gonna be a huge market for us with stem cells. Right now it's a compassionate use, but I think in the future, we're gonna see a huge area of, um, immune media diseases. One of those that I think no one has talked a great deal about has been IMHA, the immune mediated. Um, um, We've touched on that in previous podcasts, haven't we? Yep. yep. And IMHA, as far as having, 
having um, a, a way to treat these animals, because right now I think uh, most veterinarians will agree that our, our treatment of IMHA is pretty lacking or it's uh, uh, pretty fragile, uh, pretty fragile at best. It's interesting you bring that up because I actually had a question come through regarding immune mediated polyarthritis and the protocol, what the protocol would potentially be uh, for treating that with stem cell therapy. We've done, we've done two of those. We've done two of those now. Actually, it very, it was very rewarding. And the, Stop. The, the first one that we did was a, uh, the first one that we did was a university diagnosed IMH or not IMHA, but immune mediated polyarthritis. And uh, on a on a Newfoundland, and uh, extremely good results um, on that dog. Uh, the major joints, if we have joints on these dogs that are that are extremely painful, we'll go ahead and and get some of the cells into those joints. We'll inject those joints with PRP and cells. The major thing with the immune mediated is going to be IV, and usually five to ten million stem cells per kilo. Large breed dog, that's a lot of cells. But if we can get those IV and then come back in 30 days and do our second dose in 30 days, if we have enough cells, possibly in 60 days, depending on the dog, the one that we did responded so well at 30 days, we did, or responded so well by 30 days, we repeated 30-day dose, and that was the last dose that we did on her. I think immune-mediated diseases are a lot, they seem to have a lot more durable response. It tends to last a lot longer. And uh, um, we may not have to be doing them at 30 day intervals or even year. I think when Dr. England was on, she was talking about doing these chronic pancreatitis with using just PRP, but she was uh, coming back in at I think six months to a year and just kind of doing a booster, a booster uh, uh, dose then. So that would be how I would treat these, uh, these polyarthritis, these immune-mediated polyarthritis. It's a good use for the, it's a good use for the product. Got another question in the chat here. What is the success rate in your experience, Dr. Snyder, for partial CCL tears with PRP injections? PRP, I, well, you you have some of these some of these dogs, and once again, I'm back to that the the rehabilitation. If we put PRP in these joints and we don't get good owner compliance, and they let the dog they let the dog just run, and that joint feels better, there's a good chance he's going to take and and uh, uh, get a complete tear. We're gonna go ahead and finish it. Um, if I can get if I can get people to com, to at least try to comply to restrict the restrict the the uncontrolled exercise of these dogs, I think within 30 to 60 days we're going to see some 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 pretty good response on these dogs. Anyway, my past experience has been with that. Uh, just talked to an owner today that we did PRP on a partial tear. It was two months ago um, on an, um, a blue healer. Um, so a very athletic dog that had a heck of a time keeping him from, from just going absolutely nuts with his exercise. He did as much, um, he was a vertical dog. He jumped, he jumped like the <laughs> nothing, 
nothing I've seen, but, um, <laughs> and, and of course you don't know how, how bad the tear, how bad the cruciate tear is on most of them. But, uh, on this dog doing very well at, at, uh, two months post PRP, uh, dog, the owner, um, owner reported today when I talked to him that the dog was back completely back to normal again. Very good. Anybody, if you have any further questions, please don't hesitate to put them in the chat. We would uh, love to hear from you. Um, notice we got a lot of good, uh, good partners in here with us this evening. I see Dr. Coffee, who we brought on in October. Um, Dr. Coffee has had some good success with us here, uh, here as of late. Dr. Coffee, we'd love to hear from you if you've got a working mic. Um, but if not, that's totally fine. Uh, Dr. Snyder, um, can we speak to the value of freezing PRP? I know we touched on it a little bit earlier, but just kind well, of giving everybody in the, in the chat, in the group here, a good rundown on the value of freezing those additional PRP doses. Oh, that's like, that's liquid gold. That's liquid gold, Dylan. <clears throat> it's, uh, uh, I can't believe that in the past I'd thrown PRP away. We'd go ahead and, we'd go ahead and use what we, um, um, we needed. And then we went ahead and, and pitched the rest of it. I can't believe that we did that. Uh, you can take an, an aliquotit. If we're doing, if we're doing these, uh, these cruciate tears, we can go ahead and whatever our dose of PRP we're using is just go ahead and aliquot it into the syringes, cap it with a needle or with a syringe cap, freeze it. Just in the minus 20 freezer, that's the minus 20 freezers are just the standard refrigerator freezer. Um, usually we put it in uh, a baggie um, and then go ahead and freeze it. And that way, when we're ready to, to retreat the dog, we can just pull one syringe out, thaw it, thought once or thought one syringe out and go ahead and use it. Um, it, it is a number one, it's more economical for the owner and we just have to get the dog in depending on the temperament of the dog. Um, go ahead and inject the joint. Some of them sedate. Of course, there's some dogs, I'm sure most people out there wouldn't want to try to inject without some sedation, but um, some of these dogs don't, object um, to having their having their stifles injected anyway without uh, um, without sedation it's really interesting that you bring up the sedation piece because i got a number of questions on that in relation to prp uh, therapy over the last couple of weeks can you uh, talk about your sedation protocol for prp oh for it's it's i i always hate to you know, you always hate to, to advise people on, on anesthetic because it's like they say, what's the safest anesthetic? The safest anesthetic is the one that the surgeon or the anesthesiologist is familiar with. You know, you can take and do Dexdom. You can do Dexdom because you can reverse it easily. Dexdom and a little bit of uh, butorphanol works great. Um, some people just go ahead and if they need to, um, anesthetize, just use some propofol. Um, so you've got several several options for what uh, for what would work. Uh, I've used uh, um, xylazine, xylazine, and butorphanol. There's a lot of 
there's a lot of uh, whatever people are comfortable with. Dexdom is really easy because you can reverse it when you when you get through and the dog can walk out, which is kind of a plus. If sedation is needed, is it generally a lighter sedation for the blood draw and then a heavier sedation for the injection? It can be. A lot of a lot of dogs don't object to the, you know, if we're doing a juggler, a juggler draw and the dog's a fairly, fairly um, calm dog. A lot of times you don't need to sedate to, to get the, to get the blood draw. Um, it doesn't seem to affect the PRP uh, to go ahead and pre-anesthetize. If we're collecting, if we're, if we're collecting fat on the dog, we'll just do our regular um, pre-surgical, pre-surgical pre-anesthetic. And while the dog's sedated, we go ahead and get our blood. Or if you if you're more comfortable with going ahead and having them anesthetized before the before the um, blood is withdrawn, either one. Do you remember what that anesthesia brand is that Dr. England was talking about that helps calm her cats down before the blood draw and really helps with her PRP yields? Yeah, she was, and that really wasn't an anesthetic. That was just uh, she was uh, using um, um, Singular was the Singular was the anti-asthmatic. Right, she right. And she was, then she was going ahead and using using a dose. Uh, let's see if I've got that. Oh, the loratadine. That's loratadine right. is a claritin. And she claims she that that pumps up the concentration of uh, of her growth factors in her platelets. Yeah, that we've um, we've had some pretty good. I, I've I've done some. I went ahead and researched a little bit into the uh, feline platelets as far as, um, you know, anybody that works with cats knows how uh, cat platelets clump. They're, they're difficult to work with. They're hard to get a good platelet count. What I did learn as I went through, um, went through my, my uh, kind of research on cat blood, they're, their platelets are sticky. They start to degranulate very soon after you harvest them. You need a nice clean, you need a nice clean stick. Um, collect your samples, go ahead and process. If you're going to do a, if you're doing a, a, a CBC on these guys, you're collecting the blood into a lavender top, get the platelet counts done immediately within certainly the 15 minutes. Same thing as just, is if you're uh, processing your PRP, get the PRP started processing immediately after you collect the blood on a cat because those platelets start to degranulate and your platelet poor plasma, which is what you're, you're discarding as you're going ahead and concentrating it down, you lose a great uh, number of growth factors because they're already starting to degranulate. So there are some things with cat blood that's, that are quite a bit different than dog blood, but the main thing with cat blood is uh, go ahead and do your analysis. If you're doing a platelet count, which I'm recommending might be a real beneficial thing to do on any time you do a PRP. If you have the capacity to go ahead and get a, a CBC or at least a platelet count, get a platelet count. So we'll know the number of platelets in your PRP on your concentration. I think that might be something that, that can explain um, some people have a lot better luck or you'll have one animal that will, that will have extremely good success with PRP. The next animal that doesn't, I think we may be seeing some of these, uh, some of these dogs or cats, either one who,
who have low platelet counts, we may need to concentrate those, um, that PRP a bit more to get, the, to get more of the growth factors out. So doing a, doing a quick um, um, platelet count might help as far as explaining, explaining some of that for us, Dylan. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I have another interesting question in the chat here for you, Dr. Snyder. As a research model, has anyone ever caused surgically cruciate deficient limbs and injected PRP or stem cell and then done the necropsy evals of the results? Those, um, Dr. Maurer. Um, interesting. Dr. Roger Maurer in Las Vegas. We need to, we need to get Roger on one of these again, Roger, yeah, Roger's uh, an, another senior. He's another senior veterinarian. Uh, he's an orthopod in Las Vegas. Uh, Dr. Maurer had done stem cells on one stifle of a dog. The dog then proceeded to tear the other side. And this was two weeks. I think it was two weeks after Dr. Maurer had done the first side. The second, the second side, there was something about uh, they didn't want to do stem cells on the second side. They wanted to go ahead and do a TPLO on the first side, the one that had stem cells, which uh, Dr. Maurer did. And when he went into the, um, um, to the joint, uh, doing the doing the TPLO, he went into the joint and looked at the cruciate, and actually could see the regrowth of the cruciate in two weeks. He could see the the cruciate the 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 cruciate was was growing back two weeks after the stem cells. So that was pretty well a direct that was direct evidence from him on that. And maybe maybe sometime we can get Dr. Maurer to to get on and and we'll uh, uh, have him expand on that. Yeah, definitely. And I, I do believe we have a podcast episode from 2019 with uh, Dr. Maurer as well, but certainly uh, worth getting him on and revisiting that conversation because he has such a wealth of knowledge. Another question into the chat here. Uh, do you have any guidance for paraspinous injections and epidural or spinal injections uh, for posterior paresis and paralysis? Well, a lot of it when we talked about that before, as far as doing intrathecal is still considered to be, be for probably the upper, the upper intervertebral disc syndrome, I mean, in the thoracic region. However, when we talk about the intrathecal, it's probably not one that, that you'd want to try if you haven't got experience with it. So you might want to, if you have a cadaver and can practice before you, uh, before you did that. Certainly in the lumbar area, we can do epidurals using PRP or stem cells, either one. I love epidurals. I do a lot of, in the, in the past, I did a lot of, uh, of cesareans on dogs, and that was my preferred, my preferred anesthesia technique um, was a spinal. And then after the puppies were delivered, then we could go ahead and use uh, a general anesthesia. But certainly uh, the an epidural is easy to do. We can take and inject either the stem cells or PRP into the epidural space, uh, elevate the hips of these dogs to, to essentially get the stem cells or the PRP to, to gravitate cranially. And 
we have had, we've had some pretty decent success on some of these older dogs with spondylosis um, going ahead and responding. It's not a rapid response. And I don't want people to think that it's, it's um, um, going to be a, a quick answer because it's not, it is a slow process, much like immune mediated diseases. It takes time and probably we're, you're going to be repeating either the PRP or the stem cells at about 30 day intervals. And this is gonna take uh, more, than the, more than the two injections on most of these. Does anybody else have any more questions for us? Starting to wrap up and run out of time here for the evening, but would certainly love oh, to touch on any questions that anybody has. Almost done. Certainly nice to see Dr. Coffey on of, of uh, Calder Clinic, and and, uh, and it's it's difficult to it's difficult to to find time. Everyone is trying to deal with this COVID curbside stuff, Dylan. It's absolutely it's, it's a very challenging challenging time to be in practice. And of course, we appreciate everybody spending the time to get absolutely. on with us on these uh, on these monthly installments. I know. Me and Dr. Snyder love uh, love getting on here with you guys and learn something new every time, right? Absolutely. I uh, I'm like I said, it's it's one to where every time I get on, when we have a conversation, when Dr. England was on, I pick up so many things listening to listening to other veterinarians. And if if veterinarians have questions, um, it won't be the it won't be the only only person that has that question that's out there listening. So um, certainly bring it up and we'll try, if I don't know the answer, we'll look it up and try to find it. If it, if it means researching things, uh, we will take and uh, um, we'll try to research it and come up with the answer for them. Maybe not this time, but certainly uh, the next, next webinar, we'll try to have an answer. Sure. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, everybody. Please don't forget to subscribe. If you're listening to this on podcast, you can email us info at ardentanimalhealth.com. You can also give us a call 859-885-7111. Don't forget to like us, follow us on Facebook. That's Ardent Animal Health. We will see everybody next month and everybody have a good rest of your night. And as Dylan is a one thing next month, we'll probably have an answer on the NSAID, on that NSAID uh, use issue around stem cells. I think that might help on some of yes, these, sir. on some of these painful animals. Hopefully next month we'll have an answer for you. We've got, uh, got some people trying to dig deeper into this. Well, we hope to have something for you. Very good. Very good. Well, thanks again, everybody. Have a, uh, have a great night. We'll see you next month. Thanks everybody for showing up. Thank you.